Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Transfer Portal CFB podcast presented by No Contact CFB. I'm your host Dylan Rubin King. We're having a stacked show today. Uh, it's been a bit since we've, you know, kind of had a little bit of a stall with the bowl season now. You know, the Texas Bowl last night was the last one. Now we've got a couple days before the national championship. I'm joined today by Adam Coleman. Adam, how you doing, man? Doing good. I'm doing good. Um, college season's all, almost over. we got one game left, so it's kind of bittersweet. But I think it'll be a good one. I'm excited for it. Um, it was a good bowl season, a lot of good games. Nothing to complain about. You got two if you count the FCS championship as well. So if you're right. that, there, there's two for you. Uh, Andrew Wilson, we got dual uh, dual Andrews today. Andrew W. and Andrew D. We'll start with W. How you doing, man? Um, I'm doing great. Just ready for, you know, our final championship games. And then it's, it's going to be a long offseason. So I'm just ready to watch these final games. Feeling like that Fanville commercial where all the people in the snow globe are like, you know, it's going to be a long offseason. What do we do? That whole thing. Andrew D., man, you had an eventful last couple of days uh, how are you doing? You know, it's kind of what you said about the whole, you know, we got FCS title game Saturday. We got the the playoff championship on Monday. And you're right. It's been a pretty eventful last couple of days for me. Um, we'll, uh, we'll go into it, you know. Let's just say I had a bit of a good time last night, a much better time than I thought. Yeah, it's been uh, a really fun last couple uh, weeks, a really eventful bowl season for us. Uh, if you've been following along, we've been previewing every single bowl game that hasn't been canceled, obviously. Um, we had all of those up on our site, put them all over Twitter, and we actually had a couple people go to a couple of bowl games as well. Andrew talked about it before in a previous podcast about going to the New Orleans Bowl. And yesterday, at the time of recording, um, he went to the Texas Bowl. So, Andrew, I want to give you the floor, talk about your experience and, you know, your second time around being a media member, but this time on your own. It seemed like it was a much better, uh, much more luxurious experience from what I saw. Yeah, exactly. That was exactly it. I mean, like, if you listen last time when me and Brian went to the New Orleans Bowl, Took us eight hour drive to get to New Orleans from Houston. Think about it, he had it worse when he had to drive in from San Antonio. We had rain the whole way. And once we finally got to the Superdome, it was a hassle to get our credentials. And then, you know, when we got to the press box, all they had for food was just chips and soda. And we also got onto the field, which is great. You know, it was awesome. And, you know, that experience was great. But last night was just a little bit different. Um, I picked up my credential last week around Thursday or Friday or so. I think it was like day before New Year's and uh, it was pretty hassle-free. Got just told them, you know, transfer portal CFB. That was it. Got me the credential, uh, went in pretty early about an hour before kickoff, got to the press box and instantly they just treated me like royalty from the, from the start. Uh, I also couldn't thank the NRG staff, the, the, reps from tax act and Texas bowl and all those guys, they, they all did a tremendous job of, you know, I'm not, not just me, but just all the media members that were there in general. Second, I got a funny story guy. He was checking the credential. He says, Oh, transfer portal. Give my older guy. Uh, I hate the transfer portal. And I was like, what the hell did we do, man? Like that was literally the first instant. Like, what the hell did we do? Like, did, did you go to rice or what was it? I mean, I don't know what the hell happened here, but, uh, then I was like, then he said, clarify, no, 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 I've seen you guys. You guys are funny. Okay, I'm talking about the extra transport. And I was like, uh, okay, fine, whatnot. Uh, get to the press box, get to my seat, and they literally have everything personalized, own spot, own name card, all these things. It was tremendous. And uh, I actually got some of the stuff. So when I got to my desk, remember those paper football games that you, that you, that you played maybe like when you were in Miller High School? Well, they, they had a, they had this, you know, one of these is they call it a Fiki football, you know, and it comes with an actual, you know, red iron thing on the back. So really cool. Uh, they gave us uh, some stat sheets. Here's the stat sheet of all the, of, of the complete roster. Very handy. It was very handy when I was, uh, when I, when I was live tweeting the game, because I'll be honest with you, some of LSU's players names are very hard to spell. Here's the actual program. For some reason, there's like no LSU players on here. It's like just Kansas State. I don't know why they do that, but essentially talking about the teams, Texas Bowl's history. Now, this is a bit more of the, the surprising thing. 
this is the media guide that they are handing out. And for those that are watching on video, like this is a pretty big thing. Like this looks like a pretty big book. Like it, it's in, it's an encyclopedia for the for the teams playing. And that was that was honestly really awesome. It was more for K State than LSU, but it was really awesome. The guys were there. It, the funniest thing about the whole thing was even when I was just sitting there, I, I was talking to a guy next to me. He was part of the broadcast team of, of Houston Baptist. He was like, yeah, the transfer. I've seen you guys on Twitter. And I was like, cool. You know, and that's like one of the first things that's pretty unique. You know, you meet somebody that you don't know and they tell you that they already love your stuff. I felt like a celebrity off the bat. A couple of minutes later, I, someone from Reddit CFB comes up to me and is like, oh my God, are you with the transfer? I'm like, well, yes, I am. That's like we're almost cementing celebrity status at this point. She's like, "Oh my god, I've seen your stuff. I love your stuff." Shout out Allison from Reddit CFB if you're listening to this. She was, she was also, she was, uh, she also went to UH. We had a good conversation about that. Um, she was tremendous. Everything she she's talking about how much she loved her stuff, and I asked her like, "Hey, when did you start? You know, hearing about?" It? She's like, "I heard something. I saw something early in the season, pretty about UH that I thought was pretty funny." I was like. She read my Rice Stadium review. That that could only be it. But uh, no, as far as the games, oh, so much food. Literally, as the tour guy was taking me through the press box, all you can eat barbecue pit <laughs> to start off the day, like just to start off pregame. And my God, it was good. They had they had the whole fact they had the whole fixing of mac and cheese, briskets, uh, sausage, everything that everything that stereotypes. Houston, in Texas in terms of the food scene. Then at halftime, we got they, 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 they got us some Mexican food too. And my God, there was so much of it. There were so many media members there. I met a couple of them. I didn't even ask where they were from. That's my bad. But, you know, had some really good conversations. Uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, really good way to connect with people. And, uh, yeah, you know, and the great thing about the press box that I don't think a lot of people realize is, you're literally on the same floor as where, you know, coaching staffs will be, you know, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, you know, the, the, the shot to, you know, you see in the sky, you know, you're literally right behind those doors. Any given moment, I could have plunged right through them doors and get on television, but, you know, obviously I'm respectful. If I had K-State minus six and a half, I mean, maybe I would have considered, I'm just kidding, but it was a lot of fun to, like I said, staff were tremendous. We got on the field, uh, I will say this, they were very protective on the field more than what they were in New Orleans because I felt like in New Orleans, we could have just walked wherever we wanted to. Uh, when I was at the Texas Bowl last night, you could only go to certain areas of the field. And even then, you still had to watch where you're going because there's still security guards all over the place. There are the people that are about to bring out the, the scaffold for the, uh, for the trophy ceremony. You know, we weren't even allowed to stand behind the team's benches which is okay you know i'm okay you know i don't want to interfere with any game plan or anything that's going on so i'm fine with that uh i got really close to mike the tiger a few times he's honestly so much more awesome in person than than you see on television i honestly thought he was kind of overrated on television but seeing him up close and doing you know mascot shenanigans it's also really fun and then seeing the trophy presentation up front was really awesome. You know, Skylar Thompson was really taken in the moment. Uh, shout out Deuce Vaughn. He had a four touchdown performance last night. Also, he's going to be a top five back one in the next season. No question about it. All purpose back first team, all American this season for, you know, for all purpose players. It's really hard to imagine that he was the 91st ranked running back in the 2020 class. And he's only a true sophomore was just a true sophomore. So shout out to him. So in terms of everything, it was, it was great. My criticism mainly is why the hell did this have to be an eight o'clock central time kickoff? This is nine o'clock for your, for the Eastern time zone folk. I mean, seven and five versus six and six. Why the hell did I didn't get home till one in the morning last night. And I still had to get up for work at five in the morning this morning. Okay. I I'm essentially running out on about 400 milligrams of caffeine right now that I drank from seven or seven 30 this morning, but in terms of what they did last night, it was phenomenal. The on-field experience was phenomenal. 
you know, this is a city that I love. This is a, a bowl game that I'm very familiar with for, for many years. Yeah, th- this was just checked all the boxes. Really couldn't thank everybody there enough. What blew me away about that was you said you had a tour guide going up through the, the press box. I never, I've only done one game at the press box at Oxford Stadium and we were on our own. I think everybody just kind of assumes we're all like seasoned vets at that point. We don't really need a tour, but that's really cool. That kind of stands out. I think you got to consider the fact that, you know, this is a national, you know, broadcasted game. Chances are, you know, approved media members that come to this game, they're probably from out of city, out of state. You know, they're probably not familiar with the press box. But the, this dude was super cool. Like, he was just like, yeah, there's your food. Uh, go ahead, eat up as much as you want. There are the tables if you want to sit there or if you want to sit uh, by your seat in the in the press box in your assigned seat. That's cool, too. They they were just, you know, he, he essentially told me, do whatever the hell you want. You know, just be respectful, essentially. And, you know, couldn't thank him enough for it. And still the fact that, you know, it, it's honestly a different feeling when you have people coming up to you and be like, oh, my God, are you with the transport? Like, I thought that was celebrity status, to be honest with you. I thought that wasn't even possible. I thought that always happened if I was a millionaire, to be honest with you. But the, the fact that, you know, the, that thing actually happens, you know, we really everything about it makes it possible it's the following on twitter it's the fact that everybody does the reviews or the previews for the bowl games audio production video production you know people keeping up with the writing it's what all comes together to 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 make it what we've become only this far out you know we only started this really about three months ago and we still have nine months to go essentially well you know, maybe more like eight months until the next season starts. Who knows what more can grow within those eight months? Yeah, I, I definitely just want to quickly say that to anybody that's obviously everybody that's contributed to the transfer portal and, and what it is um, right now. I mean, thank you so much for for you know contributing. All of you guys as well. You guys have done a lot, so thank you guys. Um, you know, I, I'm just thinking back to the morning of August 15th, which was the morning that we launched. Uh, I was sitting in this chair middle of the night trying to, you know, finish the final touches of the website. And then we lost power for, uh, I think, like two, two and a half hours. So I had to stay up up until like three and a half hours because I wanted the damn thing published at like nine Pacific. And I just I had to stay up and like freak out trying to make sure everything was right. I had everything saved, thankfully. Uh, But I was just, you know, all that stuff was worth it for you know, getting to be able to go to a couple of bowl games and have people recognize our work. It's, it's really cool. So, um, you know, Andrew W, I want to, I want to get to you kind of, um, you know, your recap of the year, because you're kind of a new guy in our, our group here, you know, Adam and Andrew and I, you know, we've, we've kind of done the little thing with, with the picks for uh, a few years now, and you kind of came along this year. So what has your experience been like joining our team? And, you know, what, what do you like most about it? Uh, it's it's been amazing. It's been amazing to say the least. It's a group, not even just like a you know group of people that just talk about college football. It's just a group of friends who you know know what they're talking about and they just want to share it to other people and provide good content, which I love. Uh, it's always been great, you know, just providing a new way to look at. I mean, especially my team, Minnesota, because that's what I wrote about a lot this year. But just to have a group of people who, you know, very knowledgeable about the sport, very knowledgeable about the programs, and just to have a new light, uh, just, I don't know what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is having something different, because we can always have a different insight to the sport that we all love. And I think that the Transfer Portal brings us something special, because we're not a, a massive media network that, you know, only talks about some of the the big teams we also talk about you know the fcs the the group of five some of those players i mean we had you know bailey zappy won our uh, colt brennan trophy for best group of five player and i think that it's just been so nice to have a little bit of a refresher we're not just talking about alabama and clemson we're talking about the western kentuckys the utsas i was looking back at our player interviews and we only had i think there's nine we've only had one power five player that we've interviewed and that was colin wilder at the very end um so that was that was really cool that we had that focus because like you said not a lot of people have that and adam you've been around for 
uh, you know, pretty, I think since day one, since we've all kind of been talking in the group chat on Twitter. Um, so what has it been like for you to kind of jump in and then mid season take over doing video production, like just kind of look back on, on everything that's been. Yeah, it's been real exciting. Um, this is something that we've talked about for a long time. You know, it took us a while to get off the ground, but we got a great, got a good group. Um, I think for the pretty much everybody that said they would, they were in, you know, they put in their, their best effort. Um, as far as the video stuff goes, no problem. We're going to keep growing on, um, on that front, all the YouTube, Spotify, Twitter, all that stuff next year. Um, I think it's going to take off even more. Uh, honestly, I'm shocked that we were able to get um, credentials and stuff this early, especially um, to a game like LSU. Shout out to Andrew for that. But I think it's the sky's the limit. We've already had some big guests, some great guests, guests that want to come back as well. So I think next year um, I'm excited. I'm I'm kind of I'm 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 ready for it. I'm ready to see what, what we do and um, how we grow. Transfer portal to the moon, baby. Let's get it. I'm super excited for next year, man. Um, you know, Andrew D, you're at the game. So I'm, I'm wondering, I want to start with you because I'm not sure if you saw it while you were there, but kind of the next thing we want to talk about is, is Brian Kelly and this LSU team because it's their first losing season and I think since the late 90s, I think it was 99. Um, but he said something on the broadcast that was a little uh, – little interesting he talked about you know the accent that everybody heard during the men's basketball game trying to you know bring that LS, lsu kind of baton rouge accent but he's from boston and he said this thing about how boston there's not a very distinct accent or whatever it was that he said which is blasphemy but you know when you when you got to your phone you got to twitter and you saw that clip i mean what, what was kind of going through your head there i laughed to be honest with you, I did what most people didn't. I was laughing. I mean, that's honestly a freaking joke. I mean, I hate to put it this way, but if you're from a certain part of the country, you're going to have an accent. You know, I, li I lived in Texas now for 15 years now. People here have an accent. All right, I'm from the Midwest. Guess what? Different parts of the Midwest, they got accents. I mean, I, 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 look, I look at this. Sometimes whenever I, I look back on it, whenever I'm listening to our podcast, I got to look at myself I'm like, you haven't lived in Wisconsin in 15 years and you still have a lingering Midwest accent. There are times that I go to bars up in Wisconsin and they're like, I can tell you're not from here. And I'm like, yeah, I am. I just haven't lived here for X amount of time. You know, they, they, they can tell that I have somewhat of a Texas accent. Anybody that's ever seen a Mark Wahlberg movie, guess what? Boston people have an accent. Let's just be honest. Okay. That's, that's the truth. Anyone that's ever seen John Cena, on WWE, guess what? The Boston accent does come out every once in a while. Boston people got accents. I seriously, they should have. They I don't. I didn't hear the whole interview, but while they were on the air, I hope the announcers they got they asked Brian Kelly. They they should have asked him, "Do you happen to have your car keys on you?" Just to see what he would have said. If it finally would it can because that's the thing, some people, and I can and I can attest to this from personal experience. Some people they can hide their accents; they truly can. But there are key words where how they say it, they can only say it in one way, and that one way is the only way you can bring the accent out of people. In terms of me, for example, there are times whenever I say Wisconsin. Uh, see, there you go. See, that's exactly what I'm talking about right there. I say that state's name, that O in the middle is going to come out. It's going to sound like, eh, eh, okay. Oh my God, this sounds disgusting. Just saying it. There are times where when I went to Wisconsin just last month, I literally caught myself being like, oh my God, I'm talking like these people. I talk like these people and I don't even realize. Brian Kelly, shut the hell up, okay? You have lived in the Midwest. If we're, if we're, if we're tying together, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, you've been in the Midwest now for about 15 years. You're gonna, you're, you've, uh, he's got some Midwest in him. Okay. He's gonna deny, but he does. And he can have a bit of a Boston accent. He just is trying to hide it. Also, this whole, I am here with my family, whatever BS he tried to give us at that basketball game. Don't ever do that again, Brian. Okay. Like, 
I don't even think he's had a bucket of crawfish since he's been down there. It ain't even crawfish season yet. Yeah, that was, I mean, I've, I've, I've interacted with a lot of people from Boston. I used to work at a sports store. We had this guy who was a regular that used to come in um, and he was from Boston, diehard Patriots fan for, for 40 plus years, whatever it was, used to buy all of our Patriots gear that we had. And he had the thickest, I'm talking tiny, Tommy Heinsohn kind of accent, like just that super thick, like you can, you have to listen to him a couple of times to figure out what he says. Cause it's just so thick. And the fact that he said that, like, not even just that it's not that strong, but the fact that it's not a distinct accent or whatever exactly that it was just blew my mind. So, um, I mean, you know, Brian Kelly's walked into a lot already with LSU because the men's basketball game kind of got off to a, a weird start trying to, trying to, you know, recruit the fan base to, oh, hey, I've, I've got the Baton Rouge accent down. Um, but at the same time, you know, LSU is just in this kind of interesting place. So, um, Adam, I want to start kind of with you. Just, you know, where do you think this LSU program is with a new coaching staff, a really young team? Obviously, that absolute mess of a game with the scholarships and all that last night. So just wh where do you think this program is and where do you think it's it's headed uh, with Brian Kelly? Um. Well, yeah, we're not going to count what happened last night. That was um, nothing you can really do about that. As far as the, where the program is, I, I still think they're kind of in in purgatory. Um, I don't really – I haven't really looked at their recruiting. I don't think they're doing super well in recruiting right now. I'm going to have to go back and check that. But I guess we'll find out how good of a coach Brian Kelly really is, how good he can relate, uh, relate to players. He said that wouldn't be a big deal being – um not from the South. I know living in the South, um, that Southern pride is a real thing. Maybe that's why he tried to have that accent, but we'll see. It's kind of hard to tell for me um, that I, I do like some of the young pieces. I think um, Nussmeyer, I think he's, I think he's pretty good. We'll see what he does next year if he wins the job, of course, but um, he's from the Dallas area. He played college uh, high school football up here. So I got to see him a little bit. We have to see. It's kind of hard to tell. Um, I do. I do like Brian Kelly. I think he's a good coach. So I think they'll be good eventually when that is. I don't know. You know, they got, um, they got my Longhorns coming to the SEC soon. So they have a little bit more competition, you know, but we'll see. So to answer the question, currently on 24 seven, they have the 18th ranked recruiting class, which, which that honestly feels super low compared how to how far is that? How, how many SEC teams are ahead of them? Do you know? Uh, Tennessee at 15, Auburn at 13, Missouri at 12, Kentucky at 11. Do we want to count Oklahoma as SEC or no? No, okay, <laughs> no, no we're not yet. okay. Uh, Georgia at three, Alabama two, Texas A and M at one. Yeah, see that's that's no, not I, 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 I feel like I feel like that I think I just named like ten right there, right off the bat. Yep. Almost probably yeah. like seven. Yeah, yeah when, when Florida was that low, we were killing them when they had that whole um recruiting fiasco. I'm not even seeing Florida on this list right now. Hey, Florida's right, rightfully 50, so. <laughs> Florida's fiftieth right now. Rightfully, as they should be. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what's interesting about where LSU is, is they're, yeah, according to 247, they're eighth in the SEC. They haven't finished outside of the top five in the SEC since 2002. Obviously, I mean, we're in the early signing period just past that. So there's still a bit of a ways to go. They have 13 people signed, um, have a couple five stars. Um, they're still doing their thing in Louisiana a little bit. They've signed five of the top. 15 players Alabama has four so you know with Brian Kelly that's going to be a big thing is recruiting and keeping guys in Louisiana and not just Louisiana but in the south as well that entire area but the coaching staff I'm I'm a fan of so far you have Matt House defensive coordinator he's the Chiefs inside linebacker I'm a fan of that Mike Denbrock has been around um you know Brian Kelly for a long time with at Cincinnati and um you know at Notre Dame and I'm a big fan of keeping Brad Davis on the staff as well, kind of serving as that interim coach and staying as the offensive line coach. So a lot of recruiting experience, a lot of NFL experience. I think for me, 
I, I think the word purgatory is is appropriate, but I do think there is kind of this light because you have Brian Kelly coming in. Um, I, I think he kind of gives them a little bit more hope than a lot of other programs like a Florida with Billy Napier. Um, I don't know if there's as much hope there. I think LSU, they're only a couple years removed from a national championship, and that feels like so long ago. The quarterback situation is going to be weird because you talked about Garrett Nussmeyer. Miles Brennan's going to be coming back. Maybe uh, he took his name out of the out of the transfer portal. You have Walker Howard, who's a five-star quarterback coming in. He's a Louisiana guy. So that's going to be really interesting. It feels like every year the LSU quarterback situation is is wide open, except for you know the one year Joe Burrow um, destroyed the college football world. So, so Andrew, I want to. Oh, which yeah. Andrew? Which Andrew? You. Okay. Well. I guess I guess I can ask what answer whatever you got. I just you know I want to know what you think you know the window is for for LSU because you have Alabama and Georgia who are at the top right now. It's it's their game right now. Texas A and M, you said they're number one in recruiting. Auburn's up there. Other programs are on the rise. So how long do you think it could take for or you know what do you think their window is to to get back to not national championship? That's going to take a while, but just toward the top of the SEC again. Truthfully, that is such a hard question to answer because I just don't know how Brian Kelly is going to affect recruiting. If I was a recruit in Louisiana, I think I would have rather played for Ed Orgeron than Brian Kelly. And the reason why I say that is because like Ed Orgeron, maybe he could probably be the greatest high school head coach in the country because he's that type of guy. He's that type of prep guy, that pep Ed here's the thing with Brian Kelly. And I said this ever since he was hired, you need to fit the demographic and it's not just a matter of fit of fitting the demographic. You have to get used to it. This is not the same as recruiting in an Ohio or Indiana. When you're here in the South, it's about culture. And that's the, that's the main thing. Players that are committing to the likes of Texas or Texas A&M, they, they commit to those locations because of the culture that's within the cities, within the universities. That's why they're there. That is why I feel like you see Texas A&M players, Texas A&M commits going to their recruiting trips, and they just automatically click right off the bat because they fit the culture. It's what they want to see. With LSU, we're a bit of a – you know, purgatory is the right word in terms of we don't know what culture LSU is right now. What I was going to bring up was their in-state recruiting right now. Yes, they got Will Campbell, who's a five-star offensive tackle in LSU. That's massive. They do have Walker Howard. By the way, that Walker Howard, Brian Kelly dance video that they did together, one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life, but we're going to skip Cringy. Uh, cringy, don't even just start with that. couple other players. Okay, great. You got the top two players in the state of Louisiana, but this is where it kind of starts to fall off the cliff a little bit. You got Jacoby Matthews, who could still go to LSU, but apparently Texas A&M is still on his radar. Texas A&M is still getting guys in 2022. Think about that. Chaz Preston, who is a top three wide receiver uh, in the country, going to Alabama. Le'Veon Moss, this is the biggest one. This is about really is about as bad as it gets. Think about the best player within Baton Rouge, within LSU territory, not going to LSU, but Le'Veon Moss choosing to go to Texas A&M instead to play running back. That is, I, I think that is one of the most foretelling recruit commits of this entire cycle. Le, yeah, sure, Le'Veon Moss, I mean, he may not be uh, the number one running back in the country, but the fact that you're getting your own in-state best in-town best player going to a division rival in Texas A&M, that is kind of the most foretelling for me. And you still got Kendrick Kendrick Law going to Alabama. You still got Aaron Anderson going to Alabama. This is the same problem that I saw with Texas for a little bit. They're starting to pick it up now, but it's kind of the same thing what I was saying with Texas. You have to dominate your own state right now. LSU they're not dominating their own state right now. And I kind of like said this before. The two games that I've been credentialed to to go to during this bowl season, the ranked team, the ranked Louisiana team was not LSU. It was the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. That also needs to tell a bit of a story right there. So not only are you not recruiting to the top of your ability in your own state, you're not finishing recruiting in your own state either. This is, I think this is a bit more of the underrated aspects that we're talking about when it comes to LSU. LSU needs to fix the recruiting in state, Okay. Brian Kelly, if you got to chow down on all the gumbo, jambalaya, crawfish, I mean, look, 
crawfish season's about to start up in about a month or so. Yeah, guess what? This is about your. T- this is about as good of a time to start picking it up because Brian Kelly needs to understand what LSU culture is. He needs to understand what south, what southern culture is like. I'm not talking just Louisiana. LSU is notorious for picking players out of Florida, for picking players out of the state of Texas. And they're not doing that right now either. That's why they're 18th. That's why they're seventh best, seventh best recruiting class in the SEC right now. Right now, it's just all about figuring out what the culture is for LSU because I don't think anybody truly knows it. I don't even know if Brian Kelly knows it. Yeah, I was going to say that LSU is huge in, in Texas. You can go, I can go to Academy right now down the road, and there's a Texas AM section, a, a UT section, and an LSU section. It's all just as big as the other. So I remember in high school, everybody wanted to go to LSU. It was LSU, it was Oregon. Those were the two, you know, big schools. So, th- yeah, the, the the Southern culture here is, it's it's a big deal. And I, I don't think that faking it is the right way to do it. Cause I mean, you can't, you can't really sell that. To be honest, it's going to come off as offensive more than anything. Uh, uh, well, if I was Walker, I would have decommitted right as soon as that as exactly soon, exactly you, you know if it, if it was just walker on that video okay cool but if brian kelly just stood up on that stage i'd be like dude what the hell are you doing man <laughs> imagine like your parents and stuff they see that it's like yeah yeah you're not going there we see what's going on so he has to find out his own way to to sell the program um but we'll see what happens um the recruiting this year really isn't his fault next year we'll really see how he does though Andrew Wilson, I want to get to you because you're you're kind of sitting out of lay by over there. So I want to ask you the the military, you know, the million dollar question as well. I mean, this LSU team, a couple years removed, is going through a complete rebuild. So you know, how long do you think it takes? Do you like what they're doing? Do you think they're you know in purgatory too? I I think you kind of have to think they're in purgatory because as good as a coach as Brian Kelly has proven to be, LSU is in the toughest division in all of college football because you got Alabama, you've got. Texas A&M, who just had the best recruiting class ever. You've got teams like Auburn, who are, don't look great right now, but they can kick it up if Harson decides to, you know, be good. So LSU is in this situation where they're kind of, you know, in between a rock and a hard place. Alabama is the hard place. A&M's the, is the rock, or I guess you can switch that around. Because not only is Alabama super dominant right now, they'll probably be super dominant in a few years. If Jimbo Fisher can develop the talent that he's gotten in the last year or two and what he'll get next year, if you can develop that into amazing players to contend for a national title, then you're looking at LSU, who, I mean, we can view as one of the top programs you would want to go to if you were a five-star. Like, just the atmosphere that Baton Rouge brings to a college football game, the facilities they have, Brian Kelly himself as an amazing coach. But then you also look at what's around them. And if you're having a tough time getting players from your own state it's tough for me to think that okay you're gonna you know be great elsewhere and like adam said 2022 to 2023 that's gonna be a massive recruiting stage for brian kelly if he can get this lsu team some more talent i think they'll be fine but right now it's really tough to think that they'll be anything above like anything above alabama or a&m and speaking of Alabama, you know, we have one more game on the slate and it's the national championship game. And who would have thunk it's Georgia against Alabama? Um, I think that's kind of been a lot of people's guess since really early in the year. And, you know, a lot of people wanted this Cincinnati, Michigan, and it just it didn't happen. The college football playoffs were a little, you know, a couple of blowouts for the most part. And I you kind of have to expect it at this point. It's almost an annual thing um, and that it is an annual thing. But I, I think that this matchup is interesting because they've played in the SEC title game and both teams, I think, improved. Uh, maybe Georgia, I think, improved since then. They, they dominated a really good Michigan team. And I, I feel like they have a better chance after losing by 17 in that SEC title game. So, Adam, let me start with you. Do you think that Georgia is 17 points worse than Alabama right now after that game? Um, do, you, do you see it a way that it goes Georgia's way and that they can top Alabama? Uh, yeah, definitely. First, let me apologize to all my Georgia fans out there. I picked y'all to lose against Michigan. That was a uh, poor choice on, on, on my front. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, um, we, me and Andrew, we talked about it last week before. Um 
I don't see that happening again. I think that was just, you know, a bad game. Just chalk it up to a bad game. You know, Georgia, uh, they had, what, six sacks against Michigan? And Michigan had arguably the best offensive line in the country. So if they, if they can do that again, I don't, I don't think they had any sacks against Alabama um, during the SEC championship game. They got to Bryce Young a little bit, but it's pretty elusive. He's hard, kind of hard to bring down. That's the key. They can win that uh, up front, get pressure on Bryce Young. We've seen him struggle a little bit under pressure. Cincinnati was able to get to him a little bit. They, only, they sacked him twice and they hurried him a couple more times, but all in all, he pretty much had a clean pocket. Alabama's offensive line played well. If Georgia can get to him, get to him early, um, yeah, they got a shot. They got a shot. Alabama, they lost another corner as well. So Stetson Bennett, he's going to have to outplay Bryce Young is really what it comes down to. It's a crazy thing to to think about. You know, the guy like Stetson Bennett, a former walk-on, um, trying to outplay the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. That would be college football right there. A lot be of a hell of a story. That. Yeah, that would be awesome to see. Um, but yeah, you talked about Georgia's defense. They didn't sack Bryce Young. Um, I'm looking at it right now. No sacks and eight quarterback hurries. Um, only give up about a hundred. What was a hundred fifteen rushing yards? But of course, Bryce Young had four hundred passing yards, three touchdowns. So, um, you know, Andrew W. I want to know what do you think your keys are for Georgia specifically to avoid, you know, a, a repeat of what happened in Atlanta. I, I think Adam kind of touched on it. Georgia's got to win the battle with their front seven against Alabama's offensive line. That both they got to both pressure Bryce Young. And something that we saw against Cincinnati for Alabama, they got to stop Brian Robinson because Cincinnati was, it seemed like they were so focused on getting to the quarterback that they just kind of forgot about Brian Robinson. Oh yeah. He's, he's just over there. And then he rushes for 200 yards. So if, if Georgia can both get to Bryce young and stop Brian Robinson from doing massive damage, I think they'll be okay. Winning is a different scenario because it's tough to see with that Georgia offense, because I mean, as banged up as Alabama's defense has been looking with them losing another corner, already losing Job, I don't know if I can trust Stetson Bennett in a national championship. It, it's tough for me to, to trust a guy who he's looked good. He looked really good against Michigan, but I can't get that SEC championship game out of my mind. It's, it's tough for me to think that something miraculous changed with Georgia and that Stetson Bennett can, you know, become just a legend in in athens like if if he beats and outplays bryce young it, it, it hollywood couldn't write it like a former walk-on beating the heisman you know alabama goliath georgia to an extent david it, it would be mind-boggling to see that but that's college football exactly and the fact that georgia is just that's just been the monkey on their back and when i say monkey i mean godzilla and in and, and Alabama, I mean, I don't remember the last time uh, Georgia beat Alabama in, in such a, a huge game. And now you're talking about the national championship. They just lost in the SEC championship. You know, you had the national championship a couple of years ago with the game winner. And, you know, it's just, it's just this giant monkey on their back. And for, for Georgia and Kirby Smart to be able to, you know, avoid just re- keeping the, the past going, it's 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 kind of like trying to solve the Hellraiser puzzle. You're talking about can they win up front trying to stop Brian Robinson, which they actually did a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he only had 16 carries for 55 yards. So that part was 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 done in the game plan. But Bryce Young went nuclear and had three touchdowns, 400 yards in the Heisman moment for him. So, Andrew D., let me get to you here. For Alabama, like how do you how do you have a repeat performance? Is there anything that the Orange Bowl showed you that like, oh, we need to do this now um, because they can do this. I mean, I think with, in terms of like Bryce Young facing Georgia's defense, I mean, you're not dealing with Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner anymore. So if anything, shouldn't it make things a little bit more easier for him now? I mean, that's kind of the way I view it. But in terms of like the key to the game, that is one of the main things I'm seeing. One thing that's really shaken me on this game is, you know, I know that not everybody here is a gambler, but when Vegas released this line, they made Georgia a three-point favorite. If you're a casual football fan or if you just go based off of what happened in the SEC title game, you know, those weeks ago, you're automatically crunching Alabama plus three or Alabama money line to, to win the game. 
Vegas doesn't put lines out to to make people win, you know, they to, to make people gamble. I feel like Vegas, they're trying to tell us something that they know, something that we don't. I don't know why they would put Alabama as the underdog if they were trying to make, you know, people, you know, lose their money, if that makes sense. You know, it, I, I feel like if Liam was here, he would be able to explain it better than what I am right now, but he's backed off, like, on picks multiple times this week because uh, this season because of it. I think Bryce Young, I think he's still going to have a great day, to be honest with you. This is still a strong Alabama offensive line. You know, Brian Robinson, I still think he's going to have a great day. Uh, in terms of what Georgia can do differently, with Joe being out, I guess you just have to, you know, just try to try to not put too much on Stetson Bennett's shoulders. I mean, I think that's really it because you already know that Alabama is going to come up with the front seven, that they're going to try and pressure Stetson as much as possible. And if he's having a bad day, is Kirby going to do the same thing that Nick Saban did those years ago and just switch the quarterback like he should have in the SEC title game? This is the one room that Kirby has always felt to, you know, stagger upon during his time as the Georgia head coach. I'd like to see what Zamir White and James Cook can do this time around against this Alabama defense. What the hell just happened? Uh, something just flew over here. Uh but I want to see how these Georgia running backs can produce. This is still a top five running defense in Alabama and the country. We'll, we'll just see what, what goes with them. I'm going into this game with a lot of questions. I don't know why Vegas made Georgia the favorite in this game, despite what we just saw. Am I saying that Georgia is still 17 points worse than Alabama? No, but do I think that they're three points, that they just overturned 20 points just like that? I don't think so either. You know, this is this is honestly a game that I'm going into, and I don't exactly have a whole lot of confidence in having a strong opinion on it. That's I feel like that's how a lot of people were feeling because Georgia, you've gotten kind of the best of both worlds where their defense looks astronomically better than everybody else's, and then the offense sputters at times, but the last couple games. They found offense against Alabama. The passing offense was pretty good. Brock Bowers dominated, did his thing. And then against Michigan, they had 190 rushing yards, and Stetson Bennett still did his thing, too. Um, and so it's like, you know, the offense seems to be coming together. And not to mention against Michigan, that was a dominant defense. And Michigan didn't have a sack either, only had two tackles for loss, couldn't stop the run, couldn't stop Stetson Bennett, which didn't seem to be a, a difficult task for anybody all season long. But he's starting to come into form, and some of those – you know, some of those targets are starting to kind of pick it up a little bit, especially Brock Bowers. But you talked about Alabama's secondary and missing Josh Job. And now, you know, you have guys like George Pickens, who's getting healthy and, you know, A.D. Mitchell, they have to get those guys involved. And you talked about the run game. That is my biggest question, honestly, is 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 that Georgia Bulldogs rushing offense you know, good enough to win a national championship. Because to me, I feel like they have this committee that's been effective, but I feel like Alabama knows that team. They know Zamir White enough to be able to stop that. And I just don't know if Zamir White and James Cook and, you know, and, and McIntosh and those guys, I don't know if they're, you know, better than Brian Robinson and if they're better than, um, you know, they're able to kind of put a, their dent on this game. Um, I, I could be wrong, but I just haven't really seen it against, you know, lining them up on paper and against this Alabama defense and Will Anderson and, and that front seven. I don't think they're able to kind of turn the game. Um, I don't know. Does anybody else have any thoughts on, on that part of the game? Uh, I agree with what you said about White and Cook. I think that if, especially Cook, in my opinion, if Cook can make a, a, a big play out of the backfield, in my opinion, probably receiving, uh, it gives Georgia that upper hand because if Georgia is going to win this football game, they're not going to win it in in a shootout. They're not going to win 42-40. They're going to win, you know, a 17-13 slugfest where defense rules all. So if if Georgia can get one of those big plays, like they had Bowers in the SEC championship, he had a, he had a big play. Unfortunately, it was too little, too late for them. But if they can get one of those big plays early, get a lead, play defense, they they can definitely still win this game. 
And you got to get turnovers. That's the other really big thing because you're not going to, chances are you're not going to force a lot of three and outs against Bryce Young and Brian Robinson. I don't think they're going to hold Brian Robinson to 16 carries for 55 yards again, especially after what he just did against Cincinnati. Um, so they have to, you know, jump in the way of Bryce Young and, you know, stop Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams was going bonkers against Georgia. Um, so that's, that's really my big thing. Does anybody have any last thoughts before we kind of move on and wrap it up here on the national championship game? Oh, uh, Alabama money line, perhaps. Seems like a good deal right now. Watch for Federian Mathis, uh, interior defensive lineman for Alabama. Not, never gets enough credit for the amazing job he does, both getting to the quarterback, getting a little bit to the run. But something he does amazingly is, you know, getting his hands up when, when the ball is out of the quarterback's hands. He bats down a lot of balls. You saw that against Cincinnati. I think he had like two in the first half. If if he can do that a few times against Georgia, it's going to be tough for Stetson. Isn't that weird that you're talking about an Alabama guy not getting enough credit? Isn't that weird? Because you've been you've been all over Mathis all season long yep. since before the season even started, and so yep. I feel like you're the guy that's been informing me about him. So um, yeah, definitely a good point. It's going to be an interesting game Monday. I'm assuming we're going to have some sort of a recap show. Maybe we'll do a pregame show on like Twitter Spaces or on Twitch or something. Who knows? We'll, we'll assemble something. We'll have something out there for you guys. So um, one of the last things we wanted to talk about, a lot of our teams had some uh, interesting seasons. I want to start with Andrew because you got to go, Andrew W., you got to go to your games this year. You had a very up and very down uh, time with Minnesota this year in your first year. A lot of us have been to college football games before. This was, I assume, kind of your first taste with the college football season. So just kind of break it down. What was it like to to be in the student section and, and get to experience the college football atmosphere? It, it was insane. I mean, you talk about my first ever college football game was a Thursday night, prime time. You know, Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt, Jenny Taft calling Minnesota versus Ohio State. I get to see one of the most potent offenses in the country with C.J. Stroud, who was just coming onto the scene. Then I got to see the three extremely talented wide receivers with Olave Wilson and Smith and Jigba. Obviously, the game didn't uh, turn out how we wanted, but, I mean, I thought we put out an incredible offensive performance, especially on the ground. I mean, Mo Ibrahim, before he got injured, had 160 yards in the third quarter. So that was pretty insane. And just the overall atmosphere that we brought, you know, whether we were winning or losing, it was always super fun. I mean, how can you not have fun when you're around thousands of college students? I mean, it's, it's impossible, whether it's at the student gate where people are, you know, doing chants or you're in the stadium doing with whatever's the on the video board. It's insane. And like you said, high highs and lows. I mean, we lost a bowling green. We, we lost a bowling green in Illinois at home. That was like we didn't have a bad loss away. We had two bad losses at home. That doesn't make sense to me. But all of that got wiped away last week of the season, Saturday after Thanksgiving. Best night of my life. Uh, I mean, best day of my life. I was I was downtown Minneapolis from like eight a.m. to eleven p.m. It was it was insane. And you're guaranteed rate bowl champions, even with those two losses. Yeah, how does how does that feel? Do you think Minnesota kind of overachieved? Like, I don't feel like a lot of people were hyping them up before the year. Um, I don't know if they overachieved. I think they were underappreciated coming into the season. I try not to look at the 2020 season a lot because so many yeah. weird things happens, especially with the availability of Rashad Bateman. You know, was he gonna play? Was he not gonna play? Leaves midseason, obviously, is in the NFL now, as he deserves to be. Uh 2019 was special and I think people kind of forgot like after that 2020 season, they were like, oh, 2019 was a fluke. They thought we were going to be another version of what Indiana was this year. And we weren't. We were a talented team with an extremely improved defense. And I think that it's a lot to grow on going into next season. And one last thing, Joe Rossi's the most underrated uh, coordinator in the entire country. He went from our defense last year was abysmal. And this year it was one of the best in the country. So he needs more credit as well. How about a fan from, you know, a program that has the best defense in the country to Andrew D. I want to know you focus on Wisconsin and Houston. So from the, the Wisconsin side, what do you think? I mean, the, the season started so weird for, for you guys. Um, but how do you think it kind of, you know, just kind of wrap it up, everything that happened with Wisconsin this year and, you know, how you feel going into next year? Do you think Graham Mertz hits, uh, hits superstar st uh, status? 
Um, no. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that disrespectfully, but there's a lot of weird questions going with Wisconsin right now. They're going through a bit of a phase where I just feel like they're not dominating in-state recruiting on one hand. Uh, I think that's going to play co-factors. We got a – there was an office alignment who – played for St. Mary Springs. I forgot his name already. I feel so terribly probably because when he made the commitment, I chose to forget about him, but uh, he ended up going to Notre Dame. We lost another in-state recruit to Ohio state. Uh, It's a weird time for Wisconsin right now, but in terms of how the season went based on how poorly the first four games went, you know, one and three losing to the likes of Penn state at home, that should have been a win. Uh, getting absolutely obliterated in that fourth quarter to Notre Dame, getting obliterated in that second half against Michigan at home. It's never how you want to start the season. But in terms of how the Raiders the rest of the way went, it was about patience more than anything else. I mean, they even after those three losses, they still had a top three defense in the country, which is insane to think about. It just I remember there was a, a stat after that Michigan game that said that whenever Graham Mertz was on the field, the Wisconsin offense was expected to lose points more than it was expected to gain points. As in, it was more likely that he was going to throw a pick six than he was going to throw a touchdown pass. That's essentially what these metrics said, which was, I got to be honest with you, somewhat of a hard truth to swallow at the point. But, you know, sure, you know, we got the huge win over Iowa midseason, uh, the game against Minnesota didn't go the way that we wanted to. I mean, I'll be honest, be honest, Frank, with that. Uh, Las Vegas Bowl really ain't the biggest bowl out there, but you know what? They 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 still got a they still got a bowl win, and I think that's the most positive that you got to look at a season is did you at least win your bowl game? Because if you lose your bowl game, you essentially feel terrible about the rest of the season. If you can at least win a bowl game at the end, you don't feel as bad, even if it's a terrible bowl game to play. Trust me, we played in the Mayo Bowl last year, and I still felt good after that season. In terms of Wisconsin side next year, I'm going to give Graham Mertz the Clayton Toon treatment, and this is what I mean by that. The first two years were not that good, but if you cannot be the guy during your third season, then you really got to look at the head coach or whoever the coordinator is and be like, why have you not done your job with this guy? And Joe Rudolph, he has just left Wisconsin to uh, take to go to Virginia Tech. That's my put a hamper because we're going to essentially be looking for a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive line coach. Mertz is going to be in a bit of a tough situation going into next season. We'll, uh, we'll see how he progresses. I'm feeling a little lukewarm about next season, but I've had times where I've looked at a season negatively in the preview or right before it, and it kind of turns around and goes better. You know, it, I thought that way in 2016, 2017, when they won the Con and Orange Bowl back-to-back years, but it's more of a just wait and see. I truthfully have no true expectations for 2022. I'm just realizing that I think I'm the only one in here whose team didn't win a bowl, actually. I'm an Oregon fan for those who are, um, who are listening and watching. Oh, yeah. And, At least um, they played in one. But you didn't Yeah, you didn't lose a bowl game, so I guess my point still stands. Yeah. yeah so how, um, how do you go into next year with, you know, year two of Steve Sarkeesian, Adam, of, uh, you know, being a Longhorns fan and all the craziness that kind of happened this offseason? Um, how are you feeling? Right now, because the season hasn't started, I'm gonna keep. Um, I'm I'm excited. I'm ready. I'm kind of anxious. Um, last year was absolutely embarrassing for for myself, and I speak for all Texas fans. Um, but now as we're going to the SEC, we're jumping ship, and then we can't beat Kansas. You know, Angie's talking about losing the Bowling Green. I'm, <laughs> we lost to Kansas twice now in the last what three or four years. So it's this um. Last season was uh, definitely kept kept my head low, you know. But next season, got good good recruiting class. Um, very excited. Not too excited because we've seen this with Texas. Recruiting has never really been a problem for the Longhorns. Um, Charlie Strong recruited fine. Tom Herman recruited great. The problem was ever since Matt Brown left, we just can't develop talent. 
it's kind of like what Andrew said. Um, you can recruit all you want, but if they don't get better, then it means absolutely nothing. So we'll see what Steve Sarkeesian does if he can develop that talent because it's there. He has Xavier Worthy, B. John Robinson, um, Jordan Winnington's coming back as well. So he has all the weapons you can ask for. Finally got his quarterback now too. So I'm excited. I'm ready for it. Um, I'm going to be going to the Texas versus Alabama game as well. We got Alabama week two. We weren't Bama. So I'm ready for it. They're going to be coming to Austin. We're going to show them what uh, the SEC is going to be experiencing when we get there eventually. Who knows when that is. But You're gonna, I got to hold you to it because you just said you can't get too excited, but you were the one. The day that Quinn Ewers committed we're to back. Texas. <laughs> you had an article that said Texas is back. So, Texas is I mean, back. People, people were going nuts about that. So I just got to hold you to that because that was that was quite an, uh, that was quite a journey. I, I I had a feeling something was coming because Quinn Ewers committed once and then he left to go to Ohio State. Got absolutely gypped out of playing because CJ Stroud went bonkers and then he comes back. I didn't know how Texas fans were going to feel honestly because he left the first time. Did you watch Texas expecting- quarterbacks play this year? What do you mean you know how we would feel? We want to win. That's fair. That's fair. But I just didn't know because, you know, you saw how some people felt with, with Fresno State and Jake Hayner, him leaving and then coming back. They're calling him a traitor, that whole thing. I didn't. Texas fans, I'm not going to say they're sensitive, but they're kind of, you know, they're very vocal. Let me put it that way. In Texas, all in Texas, Andrew can can address this. All you care about is winning. If you win football games, it doesn't matter who's, who's doing it or how they're doing. As long as you win, that's all that matters. It's true. They don't care. They don't care how they, they, they legit do not care how they win it. They, I, I guarantee you that let's just say a, a, a money laundering scandal was to happen, you know, that, that, that violated NIL rules and they, let's just say they won a national title before it went public. They're going to still be fine with it after it goes public. That's, that's just how it is. Pretty much. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. And and speaking from someone whose team did not win a bowl game and whose team, you know, lost their head coach, entire coaching staff, a huge, huge chunk of the recruiting class. I mean, what a first year to be covering it for for Ducks Digest. I mean, that's every day I wake up like what the hell is going to happen today kind of thing for for a good couple weeks stretch. It's still at, at this point kind of still that way, even though the coaching staff starting to take form, the recruiting class still have a lot of questions, but we'll see. Um, man, I mean, you could not have it's, – it's just the most Oregon-esque season, I feel like. You start out hot. You get everybody excited. You beat Ohio State, which I, don't, I still don't know how the hell that even happens still to this day, how that happened. Um, it's, just, it's just the most Oregon season, you know. I, I feel like I try not to get too excited either because I've been heartbroken – Many a time in the past with, you know, national championship expectations, college football playoff expect, expectations. And I just had this feeling like it's it's going to it's going to hit hard. And I felt like that Utah game, even in August, I felt like that Utah game in Salt Lake City was going to be the one. And I didn't expect it going the way that it did with uh, what was it? Thirty eight, seven. I tried. I drank quite a bit that night, so I try not to remember. But the and I think you two, told us that you don't really I remember you telling me multiple times that you don't really like drinking either. Well, this season changed. <laughs> I after both the Utah games, I yeah, there you go. After both, the I know, Utah I know games, it's a Corona, Adam. Trust me, I know that I know the color of it as soon as it went down. <laughs> well, a couple times. Do you do you at least have salt and lime on that thing? I don't. Uh, what the hell? We're from Texas. We yeah. don't need that. We use a Rona. Good. Okay. Oh man. Yeah. The, uh, the first Utah game, I, I was not feeling good throughout the season about going into that matchup. And then the week of the day of, I was just getting Arizona state 2019 vibes. I was like, I'm not feeling good. I think Oregon was good enough to beat them. They just didn't show up either time. Um, and it was funny because everybody going into the Pac-12 championship, they were saying, you know, Utah's not 31 points better than Oregon. I was like, are you, are you sure? Are you, are you sure that they're not? Because if you put Oregon out there in that Rose Bowl against Ohio State, I think Oregon got absolutely ripped a new one. I think they would have lost by damn near 40. Um, And so all the credit in the world to Utah. They had a fantastic season. But, you know, losing three of the last four after starting, you know, after being 
in the college football playoff race going into that first Utah game. I mean, just a just a complete flip upside down, just a complete kick and where the sun don't shine. And then to have your head coach basically be tuned out in November um, and have the entire coaching staff leave. Like it's I've never really experienced that. Taggart was kind of, you know, I, I felt like he was going to leave. I felt like a lot of fans did. And even when he did, it was just, you know, get angry all over Twitter and then get over it. But the crystal ball thing was just different because he kind it felt of like a complete like stab in the back. That's what it looked like. It it did feel that way, but I felt like he left the the program in a better spot than when he came in. And I feel like that's, you know, the least you can do as a head coach moving on. Um, and he's from Miami. His family's there. His mom was sick um, in November and December and she lives in Miami. So that part, I kind of understood. He said he didn't really think that, position would open up for him so i'm not super butthurt about him leaving would it be nice to you know keep him around and have him finish what he started in a sense sure but with the coaching staff that dan lanning has been bringing in so far with the emphasis on you know development and recruiting especially and youth i'm i'm really excited i love dan lanning i love what i see from his defense so i'm not buying in i'm not saying we're going to win a championship in a certain window i'm not going to scream that into the mountains but i'm really excited for for the direction of it um but i'm, I'm definitely bummed out about this season because I, I i feel like that this was their chance having Ohio state on the schedule um, and, and winning that game. I felt like this was the time to do it because you don't get games like that. And now next year you get Georgia, you have a chance to do the whole thing over again. So yeah, definitely, definitely an interesting uh, season, first season to cover with, with ducks digest. I got to ask and all that. Is Mario Cristobal Cuban? Yes. Know it. Yeah. Trust Despite me. What, uh, tr tr trust me because the, 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 his first press conference in Miami where he was like talking Spanish to the, to like one of the reporters, I was like, that's a Cuban Spanish. Trust me. Anybody that yeah. like is fluent in Spanish, you just got to listen to how someone talks and be like, yeah, that's Cuban. Yep, that's yeah. Argentinian. And trust me, I know this because with me being a Mexican Spanish speaker, Mexicans use a lot more slang and he was pretty crystal clean. Here's the thing. Cubans, they speak in a very, monotone very straightforward strict uh tone i was like yep yeah, he's definitely cuban and i know it's miami like you're 90 miles from cuba it makes sense but i just knew it yeah despite what rod gilmore might say um mario cristobal is cuban yeah because rod gilmore had this whole bullshit thing about him being a white guy and then when he was yelling at chris hudson um you know getting into him on the sideline that viral thing he was like he's this white guy getting after a a black player and he was making it a race thing i don't know and people were like he's cuban what the hell are you talking about anyway we've what we've what country did what country did he think that the name cristobal came from <laughs> uh my, my other side is polish i'll tell you one thing it sure is how in polish or german <laughs> rod, rod gilmore i'm not gonna get into how i or oregon fans feel about rod gilmore but when we see that his name pops up on an oregon game Oregon broadcast. Let's just say we're not thrilled. So, Rod Gilmore, it's like yeah. Packer fans and Mike Florio, or yeah, or Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, um, especially Troy Aikman. But you know, all that aside. <laughs> By the way, we left out a very important part, and I know we're trying to wrap this up. But when you were asking about other teams, why can't we talk about redemption season in the third ward, man? Sorry. It's redemption season, man. That's all I got to say. Yes. Dana is the real deal. Clay's the real deal. You know, even though Marcus Jones and uh, Logan Hall aren't going to be here next season, you know, best of luck to those guys as they go into the draft. But I, I'm really feeling, I'm really feeling something special next year. We're going to be better than Cincinnati next year. You know, even with Luke Fickle still there, we're still going to be Cincinnati's team is going to be completely depleted. And you know, what, and sure, we and sure we've lost a few key players. You know, you know, like I'm going to be interested to know like what our special team is going to look like. You know, Demarion Williams is no longer there. You know, we still have to replace our top two corners too. But I got a special feeling about next year. I really do. Like, I don't think I've had this good a feeling probably in a really long time going into a season. No longer a basketball. Same way. There you go. Yeah. All right. I mean, I mean, the women's basketball team is well pretty good too. But you know, we'll get there. No, no, no longer just a basketball school. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. I mean, we, we should clip that, that opinion on uh, Houston, put it, you know, 
YouTube and put it on Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Cause I feel like that's going to get some juice. I don't disagree. I just think a lot of people are, you know, probably thinking Cincinnati with Luke Fickle's built building. I feel like they think a natty's coming. I don't, but maybe. Yeah, I'm confident in that. I just think there's too much talent. Like, well, look, we'll know who the quarterback is. Um, I think you, when you look at Houston in terms of the season opener against tech, you realize that that's not what they truly are. And I kind of wish the AP and the playoff committee would have realized that when, when the rankings were really coming in mid season, I think it was pretty obvious, especially after the SMU win that that loss, that second half capitulation against tech was not who the team was. If, if he, if he just would have hung on that little bit, I, you know, we don't know how far like rankings would have changed, you know, might have been Houston hosting that AAC title game if they would have looked better than Cincinnati throughout the season. You just don't know. You know, it's I, I, I think if you play that second half against Tech nine times out of ten, Houston still comes out winning. And but like I said, you you can only play what what's happened, you know. Uh Houston still finishes out the season with only two losses, absolutely killing whatever point uh win total you know Vegas gave us. Two losses, you beat an SEC team in, in, in their own state in, in the in the in the Birmingham Bowl. You just gotta give all the props, to be honest with you. I I don't really know the last time that I've looked back at this team and I was like, yeah, I'm proud of this team. Like in terms of turning around the season, turning around the program. I'm not saying that this season was better than 2015 when we won the Peach Bowl, but this season felt like, damn, like you really proved everybody wrong and, and it all started with the smu game when we stormed the fields that that was honestly like the the start of the whole thing um i think that i think dana's you know as much criticism as i've given him probably ever since his first year i think he's got the program in a really good spot the way that he's able to to pick up recruiting even on the last couple weeks has been phenomenal you know landing matthew golden out of klein kane wide receiver who was originally committed to tcu still atop you know, I forgot what what ranking he is among wide receivers, but he was he had offers from a whole bunch of teams. Chose to play for a G five Houston team just to stay in his home hometown. You know, and I, I think Dana's. You know, it's, it's what we talked about with Brian. I think Dana's finally got a grip of what Houston's all about. He's coached here before. He was he was an OC here. Uh, I think he's. I, I just think he's got this program in a really good spot, and I don't think it's going to be a Tom Herman situation where he's only going to be here until the good is really good. And then he dips. I think he's truly going to be here for a really long time. I think he loves the city. I think he loves the culture. I think he loves the university. He's got a great relationship with the AD. I'm really looking forward to, to what Houston brings within the next couple of years and big 12, big 12 chance within the next 10 years. I wouldn't be surprised. With that, I think that's a good place to stop, you know, kind of on a, on a light note, everything is, you know, fruit roll-ups and ring pops for everybody. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a, that's our show. Uh, we can't wait to get into the national championship. Hopefully we can put together some sort of preview, um, you know, maybe the day of the game on Monday, do some Twitch content, maybe do a little YouTube live stream or something like that. Maybe we can assemble it. Um, yeah, thank you so much, everybody, for your support of our podcast on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Make sure to subscribe, follow, however way that you can support us. Make sure to do that. Follow us on Twitter um, and check out everything on our website as well. So thank you, everybody, so much for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next one.